for those of you who don't know me, my name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on staff. Um, and uh, just wanted to welcome you. Uh, we are going through the Gospel of John. Um, this morning we're in John 8. Um, I'm going to start off with my good friend Clive, which goes right along with this. God does not love us because we are good. Rather, he works towards making us good because he loves us. Do you see that the Holy Spirit is kind of drawing this line through worship, through what Aaron was talking about, through the word that Michelle had? Isn't it cool when the Lord knows ahead of time kind of what he wants to do? And it just, for me, it's, it's really encouraging um, that he takes such an interest in us to kind of work those things out and work those things through. So scripture we're going to jump in this morning. Let's read this. John 8, starting in verses 1 through 4. Uh, I'm reading out of the NIV this morning. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people had gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery and said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. I'll pause there real quick. Where was the guy? You know, there's this old saying, it takes two to tango. <laughs> Just an, like as I was reading the scripture, it was an interesting thought to me. Continuing on. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And I love what Jesus does. He bends down and he starts to write in the ground with his finger. Like, Here's how interested I am in what you're doing right now. Right? Jesus is like, why are you wasting my time? You know what? I'm more interested in drawing in the dirt right now than what you're bringing to me. I love it. It's interesting to me that they were using this woman to entrap Jesus. In this story, she has nothing but a tool. They didn't care about her. I don't even know if they cared terribly about the law of Moses at this point. But they wanted to kill Jesus because he was taking away their power and their authority. He was usurping what they had. He was taking it. They somehow knew how Jesus was going to respond, that he would be kind to her. And they were going to nail him, both literally and figuratively, for not following the law of Moses. Again, we see this thing of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, right? Let's continue on. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up after ignoring them by drawing in the dirt. He straightened up and said, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he kept continued on drawing in the dirt. I would love to know, like, what was he drawing? Any, like, you know, be 
fascinating to me than what he was drawing, if anything. I'm thinking maybe he... So this is me reading into the scripture, okay? So let me, let me preface it with that. I'm imagining, okay? I'm imagining he was maybe writing down all their sins. Like, oh, let's see, Jebediah, Lust, um, Zephaniah. Oh, you were an adulterer too, and you brought her here. Interesting. So that one. And let's see, Jonah over there. Oh, hates other people. Um, you know, like, there's all, you know, I imagine he was like, this is just my imagination, that he was like, you know, he's like, oh, all of you. At this, those who heard him say this began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Like none of them were left. If I did the same thing in this room, right? If I brought up my friend Ryan, Ryan has committed this sin, I would like for all of you to grab a Bible and throw it at him if you have not sinned. There wouldn't be any Bibles in the air, right? Because we've all screwed up. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the mark. Paul says that there is not one of us that is without sin. Not one of us. It caught my eye that the older ones left first. I thought that was interesting. Speaking for myself, as I become older, I'm recognizing more and more my own hang-ups and my own sinful tendencies. Like, they just become more glaring to me, I guess. I don't know why that is. Um, but I have noticed that as I've been getting older, that this has allowed me to give more grace to others. I, you know, I've mentioned to you guys before, any of you who've been here with us a little while, you know, 20-year-old Dusty is way different than almost 50-year-old Dusty. Like, there's, there's a significant difference between these two dudes. And older Dusty would tell younger Dusty, chill out. Like, uh, give, give people some space, you know. Let them, let Jesus, give Jesus a moment to work on them. Give, give the Holy Spirit some time to soften hearts and to, and to, Reveal himself to them. Like, don't just jump to grabbing your rock and winding up for the, you know, for the throw. Like, younger Dusty, chill. Let the Holy Spirit work. Let Jesus move. Let, let the truth of Scripture begin to soak and soften that hardness that is in the heart. I also appreciate how gentle Jesus was with them, with the accusers. It was something as I was praying about this scripture that really struck me. I mean, it would be really easy for Jesus to have nailed them really hard, right? Because here they were, this group of men bringing this woman by herself in front of them to kill her. And they wanted Jesus to join in with this and approve their murder of this adulterous woman, right? And it would have been really easy for Jesus to nail them too, right? The same way, to the same degree that they wanted to kill her, Jesus could have come at them, right? 
But he was actually really gentle with them. He said, look, look to yourself. How's your sin life? How's your heart? Where are you at? And then he let them come to their own conclusion. And I know the Holy Spirit was involved in that, right? Obviously, the Holy Spirit was involved with that. But he let them come to their own conclusion of, you know what? We're, we're not worthy to murder this woman to fulfill the law of Moses because all of us have fallen short of it as well. See, no matter which side of an issue you're on, Jesus stands ascendant. Jesus is Lord, capital L. Right? And whether you're an accuser or an accusee, He still loves you. And He still gives Himself for you. And He still extends Himself to you. And He still gives you grace on both sides. But oftentimes we, in our human nature, like to take extreme positions and stake out our territories, right? Like, we do that. We do that. I do that. I'm sure there's others in here who could raise their hand and say, well, it's, it, can't, it has to be this or this. You know, Jesus can't love both sides, right? Somebody's got to be wrong. Somebody has to be wrong in this situation, right? Do you think it was bad in, in macro, okay? So big, big thought process. Do you think it was bad for them to be concerned with sin? I don't think that's bad. Sin, it says sin leads to death in Scripture, right? So that's not, it's not bad for them to be concerned with sin in their community. There's, that's, that's not bad. And it, this woman, I'm sure she wasn't going into this like, you know what, I'm just going to kind of do whatever I want and... I don't care about any of the consequences. Most most people who get them find themselves in these situations, they're not just being laissez-faire about it. They're not just like kind of traipsing into it, thinking, "Oh, everything will be fine." They they you know most people we know I know Dusty knows I know when I'm um, doing something that is wrong. I know. And sometimes I just choose to do it anyway. And then one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And sometimes I find myself in places that I don't want to be. It's not that I'm hard. It's not that I'm just like, well, God, forget you. I'm doing my thing, right? It's not that. It's, it's way more subtle than that, at least in my life. It's way more subtle than that. And I imagine this woman, it was a similar thing. She responded to Jesus There's no one left. No one is here to condemn me. And then Jesus says this remarkable thing. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So God doesn't want us to engage in destructive behaviors because he loves us, right? It seems pretty simple. Um... You know, if my son, who I love dearly, was eating cheesecake for dinner every day, that's kind of a destructive behavior. It's not really healthy for him. Not getting, like, the proper nutrients and minerals and, 
and protein. And I mean, there's a little bit of protein in there if you count like the sweetened condensed milk and the cream cheese. I, not that I cook or anything, but you know, you, there's there's some stuff in there. You know, you might get a little bit of citrus because I like to squeeze lemon in my cheesecakes, and you know, but not really, right? It's not really healthy. It's not really good. And since I love my son and I care for my son, if he's eating cheesecake for dinner every night and that's his dinner and he's eating like a whole cheesecake for dinner, that's kind of a destructive behavior. It's not going to be good for him. And so I don't want him to do that because I love him. And I feel like I'm a pretty solid father. I, I love my son and I, I do what I can for him. And, and so if we, God the Father doesn't want us to do things that are going to harm us either. Jesus also said he, who had the right to judge, right? If anybody was going to be able to, to judge our soul, it would be Jesus, right? Did not condemn her. He told her to change. Scripture says, as I referenced before, that sin leads to death. There's many kinds of death. There's not just physical death. We have emotional death. We can have spiritual death. Mentally, our brains can just turn numb where we stop caring about anything or anyone. Our hearts can die. Our love for each other can die. Our compassion can die. Our relationship with God can die and wither. Right? There's all different kinds of death. It's not just physical. And God doesn't want us to have any of that. It says in Scripture that God is a good father. And a good father doesn't want their, their son or their daughter to die. A good father doesn't want their son or their daughter to be doing things that are damaging to them. A, a good father wants what's best for their children. And that's what God wants for us. Because God loves you. And God cares about you. And that's why he's interested. That's why he's interested in how you walk out your life. That's why. Because he cares. Continuing on. John 12 through 13. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. See, in Jewish culture, you couldn't just testify for yourself. You had to have other witnesses who would validate what it is you were saying, who in a court of law would validate your argument. And so, again, they're trying to get Jesus, right? And ignore what it is Jesus had to say. I love this picture of Jesus saying that he's light. I'm going to jump into that a little more in a minute. Jesus responded to them, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. Jesus is like, forget your needing an extra witness. I'm going to explain to you what I'm doing here. He says, I know where I come from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. 
I love that Jesus uses light as an example of following him. Has anybody here ever been to the Ape Caves down in Oregon? There are a couple of you. There are these volcano tubes. And um, when I was uh, younger, our youth group went and we hiked through these caves. Um, I think I was like 15 or 16, sometime around then, um, when we went through these. So it was before we had good batteries. And I know some of you who are younger in here, it's going to be a little bit crazy. There was no such thing as like fluorescent or LED lighting. It just didn't exist anymore. Just like the internet. There was no internet at that time either. I know. Bizarro. But it's true. So we were going in these caves. So all we had was regular, like it used these big D batteries. I know I'm that old. It's crazy, huh? We used these big D batteries. And they just didn't last that long in a flashlight. And it like took four of them to power this one lamp. And then we had lanterns that had kerosene in them. Well, our youth group was going through this, and we all had our own, we all started out, here we are, we've got our own lights, everybody's happy, you know, our leader had a lantern, he knew something. We, our leader had a lantern, and he had some kerosene, and he had a small backpack. We all had our flashlights. And it took about two hours to go through these tubes, about halfway, so these old flashlights, they were not made to be on for hours and hours, they just don't power that long. And so we get about halfway through, and all of our flashlights start to fail. And Peter, my youth pastor at the time, he did this on purpose. He was a sneaky man. He did this on purpose. All of our flashlights started to fail. And it was getting really dark. Because this is deep underground. Like, it, it goes miles underground. And it goes, like... I don't know how many miles these tubes are, but you're, you're underground, completely enclosed. There is no light anywhere. It's, I don't know if you've ever been in absolute, complete darkness, but there, it's like oppressive. It's almost, it's almost that like there's a weight to the lack of light. And it's cool because you're underground and it's damp. And these lava tubes, it was just, it was this crazy thing. I mean, I'm a, I, you know, it's been over 30 years now. More than that. Um, and I still have complete vivid recall of when it got completely dark in these caves and how it felt and what it was like. And it was scary. You know, as a 15-year-old boy, you can't admit that you're afraid. Um, but I was scared. Like, uh, it was weird. And, and the only light we had was Peter's kerosene lantern. And then he turned it off. And he started talking to us. He's like, do you feel this darkness? Do you feel what it's like to be without any light whatsoever? And he started talking about, can you feel the weight of it? And like, you could look in any direction, and there wasn't even an ounce of light. And there was no luminescent moss or anything in this place. It was just complete darkness. And he's like, this is what it's truly like to be without Jesus. It's dark. It's damp. It's oppressive. There's no light. You don't know what direction to go. And you could, you could stumble around for hours and not find your way out and get completely turned around and not know where you're going. And that's what it's like to be without Jesus. He said, but the truth is Jesus has come. He turned on his lantern. 
and he turned it on to its full brightness, and it like blinded our eyes. Like it hurt. Like the light was so bright, it like I could feel my retina. Like, <laughs> like I could feel my eyes. Like actual like I don't know. The light was like it pierced. It pierced my eyes. He said, and this is what it's like with Jesus. You have light. You can see. You can see where you're stepping. You can see where you're going. You, you can get an idea of which direction to go. Jesus is light. If we follow Christ, if we follow Jesus, we can be sure of where we're going and who we are and who he is. And we can have confidence. We can have confidence in that. Let's continue on. I also draw encouragement that Jesus confronted the religious leaders with the fact that they're judging by human standards. How many times do we do this? I can raise my, I could raise both hands. Like, I do it. I judge by my own standards. I judge by human standards. We judge people, and then we attach God's will to it, and blammo, not only do I judge you, but God does too. It's like I get a twofer. Right? We do this. I've done this. I still do it sometimes. Because we, we all have things that we don't like. Are things that other people do that we disagree with. And if we can attach a scripture to it or attach God's will to it, then it has extra whack when we use the bat, right? It like has an extra, you know, it's like it's like a weighted bat instead of just a wooden one. You know, it's got that little anybody ever here ever played baseball where you had the aluminum bat and it had the cork in the end, so you could get a little extra swing? Like, yeah. That's what I think of it. This is kind of like, you know, so when I go to whack you, if I can attach a scripture to it or if I can attach God to my will and say this is his will, actually. So and, and also that way we can also kind of be like, well, you know, it's not actually me judging you. It's God. So I've got clean hands. Right. I've done that one before. I can confess to that one. Well, you know, it's not actually me. And again, from where I was before, God doesn't want us to sin. And God doesn't want us to be engaged in destructive behaviors. Because he loves us. And he cares about us. So don't hear me saying that just do whatever you like because it's good for you. Because that's not true. And that's not what scripture says. And that's not God's will for your life. Because he cares about you. He doesn't want you to be destroyed. Because sin leads to death. So don't hear me saying that. All I'm saying is the only person qualified to judge us is Jesus and God. And we can't, we can't take his spot. There is no vacancy on the Trinity for you. There's no room. It's all, all positions have been filled. Find another job. Continuing on. I love this quote by author, Christian author Anne Lamott. You can safely assume that you have created God in your own image, when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Right? Like, well, I hate this group of people, 
So I bet God does too. Or I don't like this, and I bet God doesn't like it either. Or this person does this thing, and, and, and they suck because they do this thing, and so I bet God doesn't like that either. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier, right? We attach things to God so that it furthers our own thoughts and interests. Let's continue on. John 8, 16 through 18. But if I do judge, Jesus says, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I was referencing this earlier. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? Valid question, right? They don't really know him. Valid question. So where is this father you're talking about? Jesus responded, you do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where offerings were put. And I love this. Yet no one seized him because that his hour had not yet come. So remember these Gospels are being written after the fact, right? Sometimes when we're reading Scripture, we need to remember like kind of the order of things, right? Like this was written after Jesus had already gone to be with the Father. This was written after the fact. And so as John's writing this, he's saying they wanted to catch him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to end Jesus' ministry right here and now. And yet no one could seize him because his hour had not yet come. I just, I don't know. It like stuck with me. I, I found that like really fascinating. That like no matter what they did, God's will was going forward. That the kingdom of God, no matter my will, no matter man's intent, no matter the Jewish religious leader's intent, no matter how badly they wanted to catch and kill and stop the kingdom of God, to end Jesus' life, to stop the ministry that Jesus was called to, nothing they could do could stop it. I thought that was amazing. That was encouraging for me. That if God wants to do something, if he wants to bring his kingdom to bear on a situation or with a person or in our community, that there's nothing that can get in the way of that. That God's will is supreme. Jesus is also asserting his divinity here. They didn't get it, right? And, and if we're all being really honest, we probably have a hard time too. I mean, the disciples were with him every day and they still wrestled with this idea of him being both God and man. I mean, and they were with him all the time. So it's not, it's not too crazy that they wouldn't understand. And he, like, they didn't get, like, when he was saying that was, you know, he's speaking for himself and his father, they were, like, wrestling with that. They're like, how can that be? And yet Jesus was foreshadowing of what was come. Jesus was kind of giving them an insight. And I think the writers of the Gospels as well, like, he knew what was going to be coming. He brought to light the fact that he's Messiah. Like, in the Jewish culture, they were all waiting for Messiah. Like, 
You know, when we talk, we, we just finished Advent and Christmas, right? We talk about Advent, like the season of waiting for Jesus to come, this, this season of waiting for God to show up, and how that can be really frustrating and hard sometimes. And, and sometimes we miss him and we don't see him. Like for the Jewish people, all they wanted was for Messiah to come. And yet here was Messiah standing right in front of them, revealing himself to them, and they still didn't see him. Don't we often miss God sometimes? Don't we often look around and God's active and moving and and doing things in our lives and the lives with those we love, and, and we don't see it? And we miss him? Are you willing to see God where he's not expected to be? Are you willing to see God, to find God in places where you don't expect him? Are you open to that? What's more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will look for me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, is he going to kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, that you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. Can you hear the exasperation in Jesus' voice here? Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. It's like when I'm looking for my keys and I ask my wife, where's my keys? And she's like, they're exactly where I told you they were. (laughs) I'm exactly who I told you I am. You're just not listening. You're just not hearing me, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy. What I have heard from him, I tell the world. They just, they didn't understand that he was telling them about his father. They didn't get it. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. See, Jesus is asserting his divinity here. He's, he's revealing himself. Now, I might be reading into this, but it almost seems like Jesus feels a little bit sad. Too. He's like a little sad and a little frustrated. He's like, I want you to see Messiah. I want you to know that I am the light. I want you to know that your salvation is at hand. Your salvation is in front of you. I'm here standing before you. And they didn't recognize him. And they wouldn't be redeemed because of it. He also foreshadowed his coming crucifixion. He said he's going to be lifted up. Are we open to seeing Jesus? See, Jesus tells us that the only way to the Father is through him. You have to believe in Jesus. That only he can redeem us from our sin. It has to be him. Like, there's no plan B. It's just Jesus. Can we see him if he's standing right in front of us? 
How often do we miss what God's doing? How often do we miss Jesus as he moves? Um, I want to stop here for a moment. I want to ask you, are there, is there anywhere that God can't be? So any situation you find yourself in, any person you may be with, any difficulty that you may have placed yourself in or that has happened to you, any kind of struggle you may have, God is there. And we can reach out to him. And we can seek him. No matter how tough. In one of the songs earlier, I believe it was Simple Gospel, it kind of talked a little bit about self-worth. And how do I see myself? Do I see myself as horrible? Do I see myself as stupid? Do I see myself as just completely corrupt? Do I see myself as worthless? Do I see myself as a burden to everyone around me? Do I see myself you know, as a bad friend? Do I see myself as, as a, a, a bad husband or a bad father? Or do I see myself as like irredeemable? Like, Why would God or anyone else want anything to do with me? And God steps in and says, yes, I want you warts and all. I want you with your imperfections. I want you in your brokenness. I want you just right where you are. Not only that, I will die for you just as you are. And because I love you, I'm not going to leave you that way. I'm going to make you more like me. And are we willing to step out You know, I was thinking about the story that we started off with, with the woman caught in adultery. How easy would it have been for Jesus to just go along with them and say, yeah, she broke the law of Moses. Under the law of Moses, she should be stoned to death. Again, where's the dude? But, you know, here she is. How I mean, it would have been a lot easier for Jesus to do that, right? Like to just kind of go with what everyone else kind of had going on? Like they probably would have even maybe stopped trying to kill him all the time if he'd just kind of gone along with their program, right? And just been one of the regular, you know, hey, okay, I'm one of the Pharisees. I'm one of the Jewish leaders now. Uh, I'm one of you, so you don't want to kill me anymore. No reason to crucify, right? Because I'm, now I'm, I'm in your system. I'm part of your crew. He, he didn't do that. How easy would it have been? For him to just walk away. Right? He could have just walked away from the whole situation and not even addressed it. Wouldn't that have been easy for Jesus? Like, just, I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to ignore her. I'm going to just not pay attention to all of this drama going on. Drama-free bubble. Respect my bubble. Right? Jesus could have done that. He didn't. Tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. There's this great quote that I found really interesting. I imagine that the first question the priest and the Levite asked 
was if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See, the Good Samaritan engaged in a dangerous altruism. They weren't supposed to have any contact with Samaritans. Uh, you know, as we talked about, I think it was in the spring that we taught the story of the Good Samaritan and how the Samaritan people were this deviant sect of Jewish belief and that they were mixed blood with the Jews and that was like abhorrent to the Jews. They weren't even supposed to, like, they weren't even supposed to go through Samaria. They weren't supposed to talk to Samaritans. They weren't supposed to have any interaction with them. And so this priest and the, the priest and the Levi, they were just looking out for themselves. Right? Because if they did this, they could lose their priest job. Or they could stop being a Levite. Like, I could, I could lose my job if I stop and help this man. And that, like, you know, that, that affects me. And the Good Samaritan, instead, was concerned if I don't do anything. If I do nothing, what will happen to this man? What do you think would have happened to the woman caught in adultery at the beginning of chapter 8 if Jesus hadn't intervened? She would have been killed, right? Like, can you imagine dying by hundreds of stones striking your body? It's not a quick death. That's not fast. It's not going to happen quickly. And that's what she was in for if Jesus had not intervened. But he chose to put himself at risk to save her. And he put himself at risk, right? He was safe in heaven. He was perfectly safe in heaven. He didn't have to come to earth. Jesus didn't have to be here and give himself for us. He was perfectly safe in heaven. And yet he chose to take the risk. And he came into the earth knowing ahead of time everything that was going to happen to him. The torture, his friends betraying him, his family being scattered, hunger and thirst for 40 days in the desert. Like all these things were laid out before him. He was God. He knew what he was in for. And he still said yes. And he still said, I am willing to take that hit. I am willing to take this risk because I love my kids. Because I love you. Because he cares for each and every one of you. He chose to go through that pain and go through that heartache and go through that physical discomfort and go through that emotional trauma and go through those mental angst that he had to have when one of his best friends, Peter, said, I don't even know the guy. Like the dude he was hanging out with every day for years said he didn't even know him. How would that feel? And yet, Jesus chose to do that for us because he loves us that much. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing to me, the love of God. I can't wrap my head around it sometimes. Like the Good Samaritan, 
part of the reason Jesus was telling the story. Like the Good Samaritan, Jesus engaged in dangerous altruism. See, in Scripture, there is no place you can find in there where the gospel calls you to be safe. It's not in there. There's nowhere in there where the gospel calls you to just be comfortable. It doesn't. Matter of fact, one of the last commands is Jesus is to say, go. Leave your place and go. Tell others about me. Bring the kingdom of God to bear. Sometimes he calls us to go into places and situations that are profoundly uncomfortable for us. And really difficult. I was, um, I was teaching down at the church in Hermiston last week. And um, I've never spoken there before. It's, it's not a church I'm familiar with. I maybe know three people in the whole church. Um, and, I, you know, I may have mentioned before, I'm like an extreme introvert. Like, I know it doesn't seem like it up here, but I very much am. And, like, I struggle with meeting new people. It's, it's, it's like really hard on me. Um, it's not because I feel like they're judging me or I'm judging. It has nothing to do with that. It's just I, um, I'm a creature of familiarity. I, you know, I, I like my space and my people and my food. My, my wife will vouch. We can be on the most beautiful vacation in an exotic. We were in the Mediterranean for like 16 days, I think, that one time, 16 days. And it was gorgeous, like white sand beaches and crystal clear blue water and exotic food and every need was taken care of. And like about 10 days in, I was done. I'm like, get me home. I want to drive my own car. I want to make my own food. Where's my books? Like, I'm tired of all these people. Like, it was everything was amazing and I was so unhappy. true. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. God doesn't call us to be safe. God doesn't call us to just play it safe. Sometimes he challenges us to do really risky things. And some more than others, okay? It's not all the same. Not, not every person is called to go to Africa. For some of you, your mission field is right here. For some of you, your mission field is someone in your life already right now. And you're called to serve them and to take care of them and to invest in them and to be Jesus in their life. It doesn't have to happen in some faraway land. You can look out these doors of this church and see missions and see people who are in need and who are hurting. And can we as a church body, can we as followers of Jesus engage in dangerous altruism for the sake of the gospel so that Jesus can be lifted up? Can we do that? I think we can. Let's pray. Lord God.